everyone to this newest episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Today I have with me Shirley Virchotter. She is a digital strategy advisor at Bluesoft. Welcome Shirley. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining this interview session. Um, I look forward to our discussion. Um, maybe let's start off with a little bit about yourself. Tell us who you are. All right, okay, I can talk about that for ages, so just stop me when it gets too long. Uh, so I'm Shirley, and uh, I currently live close to Vienna, somewhere in the south of Vienna, in a tiny little village. Uh, and I work from home, so that's super nice, being able to live and work uh, in exactly the same place. Uh, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm multicultural, so um, my dad's Austrian, my mom's from Zimbabwe, and uh, I grew up in different countries in Africa, in Burkina Faso and Zambia, some what you call a third culture kid, uh, and went to school there, really spent my, my whole life there until I moved to Austria when I was 18, right, and then started studying. So, um, yeah, I had, a, I had a pretty interesting uh, journey in the sense that I never really wanted to study. I didn't see the points in having a, you know, paper to prove what you're able to do. And until today, I still believe in people more than in their references. <laughs> so I basically started studying um, environmental system sciences in Graz mm -hmm. and uh, then moved on to basically doing other stuff. I did a lot of art back then. Mm -hmm. So I painted, I made jewelry, uh, did photography. I had a few expos in Austria that was very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and then got into this lifestyle of, you know, wanting to challenge the system, right? Um, until I was about 25 and I decided I need to go back to uni uh, just for the sake of, you know, doing something and learning something. Basically, it was about learning. That was the motivation. And so I decided to look at the... Um, uh, at the different studies that exist in, in Vienna uh, and to do something that I knew nothing about, right? <laughs> so like where I had absolutely no idea, uh, no experience and honestly also no interest previously mm -hmm. because I thought, you know, that this uh, Austria does sort of help you with your studies. It offers you a great system. So go ahead and, you know, use that. So I looked at everything and I found two, two different studies. One would have been physics no idea. Didn't even take physics in my last two years in school, right? Uh, or IT. And uh, at that point, I was not able to install a program on my computer. I'd call my brother and go, like, hey, when's the next time I'm seeing you? Because I need to install this program. And uh, he'd be like, just click it. And then I can't do that. <laughs> it, it asks me stuff and then I don't know what to do. So, um, so I decided to, to study computer science and uh, looked at the different specializations uh, and found this wonderful specialization at the University of Vienna called scientific computing. Mm -hmm. I just thought it sounded super sexy. I was like, wow, this sounds like, you know, uh, this sounds like rocket science. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to go and I'm going to do it. Um, yeah, and then I started and I, I suffered through the beginning because I basically really didn't know anything and found out that uh, there was a lot of mathematics, which didn't scare me as much as the programming, to be honest. <laughs> but then it, it worked out fantastically. My interest grew with the topic. Um, 
I found, I basically found a whole new world that I could identify with as, you know, having previously been an artist. I thought, hey, this is just like art. It's like, uh, you know, you, you imagine reality and then you, you start building, creating. You know, there's this piece of code that's supposed to represent something in reality, something that either someone wants or status quo, right? Um, and I found that everybody had different ways of, of coding. Our, our professors could tell who'd written what. So like, you know, some students would have uh, other students hand in their programming homework for them. And the professors knew exactly, yeah, that's not, that's not what that person wrote. This is this person. So I also quickly understood that there was like a sort of a fingerprint, you know, so it really came from inside, like you were the interpreter, you're the vessel, you know, that channels this, this interpretation of reality. And that I think was the, the biggest motivation factor for me to continue with these studies. I mean, they were super painful. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. Um, we could have needed so much more help that we didn't have, you know, just due to resource shortages or, you know, the strategies of, you know, setting up these, these bodies. Um, but then I quickly took over the, it was the gender project at the time. So there was a project to support women uh, who, who started studying IT um, and ran into another problem, yet another problem. So I had all these guys stand at the door and go, hey, hey, we also need help. Like my math skills are, you know, nowhere to be seen. And please, please, can you let me in? Can I like take this, you know, tuition? Can I, can I profit from this? And I have to go like, no, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is for women from women and we can't actually do this. So I, I went on a crusade to obliterate the gender project and set up a mentoring project that would offer, yeah, the, the same, you know, area support for mm -hmm. basically every single student. And this was about 10 years ago. I recently had to look back through my mails and I was like, wow, <laughs> yeah, I've gotten old, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I set up a mentoring project that back then run on, ran on zero euro budget and gave mentors the possibility to earn ECTS credits uh, in an amazing class run by an amazing professor. Um, and they would then just help, you know, the, the new joiners, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I was super proud of it. I'm still super happy that it exists and it still exists, by the way. So it, it hasn't it hasn't gotten lost in time. And mm -hmm. yeah, um, big, big success, good stuff. And then I went on to have a child. So I've got a, a four-year-old son that uh, now during the summer holidays likes to join into my work very often. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, um, he's a very curious individual. So sometimes, you know, when he has my attention, he'll tell me that he can't talk to me right now because he's got a call and I have to be really quiet while he's in his meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's, I've, I don't know. I'm, I'm always amazed at how kids, you know, pick up these things and internalize yeah. them. Yeah. So he, he sometimes works alongside me, but mostly he's with my parents because I'm, I'm a single mother. So I raised my child by myself um, very happily. So though, and uh, thankful for my parents to be a part of this, this journey of mine. Uh, they are amazing with him. And, you know, they, they take him off my hands when, when I do have more important calls where I need to be fully focused. <laughs> Yeah, so so that's basically that's about me. Wow, 
there's so many interesting things in that story you just told and so many unexpected things actually I was of course immediately touched by the fact that you grew up in Africa like I did which is of course uh, something that was really unexpected because there are very few people and obviously we tend to forget that there are white people in in Africa that's that's something that's that's so weird because even though I know it when you said my dad is from Zimbabwe I had this moment where I thought oh. <laughs> no my, my mom actually my mom Zimbabwean Sorry, she's mom, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so she's from a mixed background mm -hmm. uh so, so I've got yeah I mean in Zimbabwe funny enough uh or around the world the family that I still have from Zimbabwe uh mm -hmm. basically predominantly all black so dark skinned yeah we, we don't actually yes, have good. yeah <laughs> but it's it's clear that it's, it's not very visible and this would be surprising yeah um yeah no it was the most beautiful thing about my childhood Mm -hmm. was to be able to grow up in different countries specifically on the continent mm -hmm. because it's still the you know the most beautiful yeah. part of, of my heart and my memories yeah <laughs> but that would be my would have been my first question actually so how did you experience coming from africa to to europe i mean that's a big thing i mean I, right yeah it was it was really uh unsettling <laughs> so to be very honest with you, I think in the first year I was in Graz, I remember in a student hostel mm -hmm. in, in a dorm basically. And uh, the first winter, I think I, I marveled at the first snow. I was, I was so amazed by it. And I spent the rest of the winter not leaving my room. Oh. So I had, yeah, I had a really sweet neighbor who'd, who'd go shopping for me and bring me food. Mm -hmm. because it was just too much for me to deal with. Um, everything was different. You know, standing at the bus stop, smiling at people and going, hey, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me, stranger. <laughs> I know, right? So there's like yeah. things like the lack of smile, the lack of communication. Um, that was very difficult. Also, the, the, the words, the chosen words, you know, to depict certain things like mm -hmm. people would be like, oh, uh, this is an acquaintance of mine. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hold on, acquaintance. Is it is it a friend? Is it a family friend? Is it a longtime friend? <laughs> is it a new friend? Yeah. So yeah, so those were things that startled me. Uh, the language, of course, and just basically the weather, how it gets so dark so soon. So I've always, you know, yeah. close the enough of to the color, places. the gray. Mm -hmm. The lack of color in people's clothing. <laughs> that was that was also very, very unsettling. So I have to say, I think it took me about six years to get accustomed to to being in Europe mm -hmm. in general. And uh, yeah, I put on about 20 kilos and I think yeah. I yeah, yeah, I was riding a good depression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I, I I wonder, you went to Graz directly from Africa. Did you have any relative, any, any roots there? Or what is the reason you went to Graz? So I like to say that my dad exported me yeah. <laughs> to Graz, right? He was like, hey, kid, you're old enough now. I mean, um, he used to send us to work in the summers uh, in different places where he had friends. So like mm -hmm. uh, when I was 14, I ended up serving on construction sites in East Germany because a friend of his has a company there, so stuff like that. But um, when it came down to the choice of university, my dad did a HTA, so a technical school, and it basically opened every single door in his life for him. Mm -hmm. So he said, hey, you're going to go study something technical because it's the only good thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, he decided he decided to enroll me for uh, chemistry oh. at the University of Graz, right? Oh, that's so much fun because I studied chemistry, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> but at the University of Vienna. <laughs> and I really actually finished it. <laughs> you did. Wow, you're such a strong person. I was <laughs> awful, but that. I did finish it. <laughs> wow, that, that's some tough stuff. Yes, I started like, uh, I didn't do chemistry though. So I mm -hmm. went behind back and I enrolled in environmental system sciences, uh, basically because people who did that, um, you know, with the direction geography, they looked a bit more like something that I wanted to be closer mm -hmm. to. So, you know, they had the dreads and they, mm -hmm. you know, were more colorful. And I thought, okay, I can, you know, I can deal with this. Mm -hmm. uh, in hindsight, it was a very bad decision. Uh, the choice of studies did not fit me at all. I also wasn't in a place in my life where I would have wanted to, you know, push yeah. through. Yeah, but but Graz was, I think it was because uh, it was closer to where my brother was studying. So he studied in Leoben. Oh, at the Montana Uni. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so my dad probably thought, hey, you'll have your brother and that'll be good for you. <laughs> Needless to say, he was busy with his life. So <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting uh, similarity because I wanted to ask you if you have brothers or sisters close, because I remember when I came to Vienna, at least my brother came with me. He's a year older and we both went to study and, and it was and but and I thought we would be spending time together, but exactly the same way as your brother was living his life. Yeah. My brother was living his life and I barely yeah. saw him. So, um, yeah. Um, I find that that it's such a such a big and, and a bit lonely step to take, you know, leaving your homeland and then just being kind of pushed in a completely different culture and sitting there and, and trying to come to grasp with the differences of, of life all of the time. Yeah. The differences, the loneliness, the, the holes really left by, um, you know, that that which you know and you're used to just not being there anymore at all, yeah. right? Uh, and also, like when you do live abroad and you study abroad, you don't have your parents around, right? Which you've had around for like your whole life. So I used to see my parents once a year. Mm -hmm. and, oh, it was no, it was definitely not something I, I enjoyed, right? Yeah. So knowing this now, if if I were to move away with my son, I definitely do it differently. But you know, I had the experience and the ability to learn from that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a very privileged experience because we get to grow up somewhere and then, you know, uh, out of your own choice, more or less, get mm -hmm. to live in a different place that, you know, that offers you opportunities. Yeah, yeah, right. And what I also see, and I see that in you too, it makes you stronger. I mean, it's an experience when you go through it, it's not necessarily always great, but um, you, you become much more independent and you become stronger. And as you said, you learn a lot from that. Mm -hmm. So um, you said you, you, um, you, you, didn't, um, you didn't like environmental science and it wasn't for you. So um, between going back to uni and studying computer science randomly <laughs> and uh, or, or scientific, uh, what was it called again? Scientific computing. Scientific computing, which is very spe specialized actually. Um, what did you do in between? You said you were an artist and, and you made art and, and yeah. jewelry and that's such, such a far cry from being in tech, right? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, it is actually, although I see a lot of uh, women who are very, uh, who are, you know, amazing in, in this field of technology also have some artistic tendencies, background interests, right? But yeah, but back to the story. So between that time, there was a few years at first, I went and I worked uh, for a goldsmith in Vienna. So I actually made jewelry that, that was sold for a really fancy place in the first district. 
Um, and then he started renovating his place. And I ended up renovating his place. So I decided to leave, right? <laughs> Although the tools are the same and the methods are the same, it's just, you know, it's more jewelry. Yeah. And I also realized that because um, jewelry, art, those are my passions, right? And I understood from working with this amazing, amazing jeweler that um, if you make your passion to work, Mm -hmm. uh, you basically have to start dealing with things like, is my passion making me enough money? Mm -hmm. Is my passion securing my, you know, uh, my life, right? And uh, at that point, I realized that I didn't want that because I wanted to keep my passion, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as something that I could exercise without the pressure mm -hmm. of having to provide from that, you know, from that passion. Yeah. So, yeah, so I left that and uh, I moved to Germany because of an ex-boyfriend um, and didn't really have much orientation there either. So what I did is I proceeded to uh, do what I always did, which is teach. So I taught kids, gave tuition, uh, English, French, uh, mathematics, Spanish, chemistry, whatever you name it. Um, and then started actually working in home renovations <laughs> with with my back then boyfriend who who was doing that you know as a living uh so I started actually renovating houses and because I had worked as a jeweler I could solder really well so I did heating systems and you know things like that right what what fell in my lap and that was the main motivator for uh for starting to study was one day I was doing um I was doing a garden and I was uh, laying, you know, grass like these, these, uh, I don't know how to say it in English. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I calculated how many kilos I had carried around that day. Mm -hmm. And I decided it wasn't sustainable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that brings me to something you said about programming. Um, it's a bit mm -hmm. of a leap now, but I loved how you said it was like art, how you have a vision um, to create something and then you make it happen. Yeah. And um, so talk a little bit about that, because you said the study was hard. Obviously, it was because you didn't have any prerequisites and it was something so different from what you had before. So I can imagine I can't even imagine how you got through the first few semesters, but Tell me a little bit about that, about the fact that you see this this uh, connection between uh, creating something and, and, and uh, programming. Yeah. So, for example, I mean, good in, in the basis of it, programming is, yeah, uh, what do I need? Hey, I need a, I don't know, let's just do it easy. Yeah, I need a calculator. Mm -hmm. So if you tell first semester students that you need a calculator, they're going to give you different versions of a calculator mm -hmm. just because they maybe have, you know, a different focal points or because they think that a calculator should do this or that, right? Mm -hmm. um, some of them might be super creative and not even giving numbers because a calculator could be anything. Yeah. So in, in that sense, there's this representation of reality that travels through you is, is impacted by you. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in, a, in a sense that's closer to what I do now, if, for example, you take data or you take data science or you take machine learning, um, and, and everything we've been hearing lately about, you know, bias, bias in, in models and, and, you know, data, data science. So that, that bias is something that you yourself personally cannot get rid of. Now, us, you know, people who are 
who are interested in, in developing ourselves, we seek our biases actively, right? We seek to recognize them, we seek to understand them where they're from, and so, you know, be able to, to act with, with less bias in our lives. But we can never fully get rid of them. That is just human nature, right? It's too deeply ingrained in us. Um, so with data, if, if you're looking at data and you say, hey, I've got to recognize something here, you're going to recognize something that's important to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And even that is the artistic perspective, because an artist is going to represent what is important to them. Mm -hmm. So, sure. yeah, so, so this, this artistic perspective and everything that we do in programming, we're dealing with data in a programmatic way, algorithms, all of that represents basically you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love how you took the discussion exactly where I wanted to go, because yes. that, was, that was what I was thinking about when you talked about it being art and, and how you created something. And then my mind immediately went to the whole thing with the artificial intelligence and how biased it is and how people underestimate the fact that we bring our whole history and our whole background into what we create in technology. Because, you know, a lot of people have this idea that technology is very objective. It is not at all. I mean, it's just a recreation of ourselves, right? Yeah, so that, exactly, exactly. And, and also building on top of that, um, you you know not just that you think it is uh it is an objective thing technology has been taught to us as this is just a thing and you do with it what you want yeah. but um it, it really absolutely isn't it was historically in in the german-speaking language at least it's called a handwerk handiwork right so um something like that can never be artistic or is not put together with art uh yeah. or you know with with your own perspectives and with your objective view um but I think slowly, the more uh, IT programming is maturing and the more it is touching different areas of our reality, the more we are realizing that we were utterly wrong about that. Mm -hmm. And not just uh, because it's touching on more uh, things in our lives and becomes more pervasive in, in our reality, I think it's also because more women are going into tech. This is just my personal view, but I do feel that we bring an, a, a different perspective to the whole thing, and we are more in tune with the fact that uh, this is not this is not just about our heads; it's also about our emotions, right? Absolutely. I mean, don't even get me started on the women topic of IT because I can go hours about that. Please go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, but it starts it starts at uni. You know, it starts at uni. Uh, professors are male. It starts with what they show us. These are the people who did amazing things in IT. They're all male. Okay, great. We go into a male-dominated area as women. Um, of course, we bring in the emotional side. We have been socialized to, you know, be in touch with our emotions and to prioritize our emotions. But mm -hmm. nowadays, when I sit in meetings full of men, still, <laughs> it's always the same, right? Full of men, and we're talking about customer centricity, and you ask them, "Hey, what does the customer want?" Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, it is something emotional. Yeah. They want some feeling of theirs, you know, to, to be addressed. They want uh, a want to be addressed. And those wants and those, those needs are generally not rational. Yeah, if it was rational, then you could make a plain calculator and say this is the functionality. And that right. is absolutely never enough. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I think that, but I still think that women are just more in touch with their, with, with that part of, of the whole 
uh, process of creation, creating things, even techn technological things. And that's yeah. why I feel it's so important because that's another discussion that I like to have with people, why diversity is so important in tech, because mm -hmm. since everyone is now using tech, you know, I mean, it used to be more hidden. So tech was always a part of life, but it used to be more hidden now that we have this digitalization everybody has to use the technology and it should be a representation of all of us but it isn't at the moment still yeah. because it's so male and dominated and white dominated yes and white dominated you're right it absolutely has to be a representation i mean um i like to when i'm faced with this this discussion right i like to ask my customers um uh what the portion the the uh, percentage of their customer base is that they would like to address Mm -hmm. Because if it is only 50%, then they should keep going as it is. Whereas if they would like to, you know, really leverage their full customer base, mm -hmm. then they need to expand their thinking. And expanding your thinking is not something you do for yourself. It is something you do in expanding your teams, in bringing in people with different mentalities, different, um, you know, focal points with mm -hmm. different backgrounds. Very, very importantly, diversity is not just an issue of male-female. It is an issue of male-female. It is an issue of, uh, you know, cultural background. It is an issue of physical ability. It is. There are so many issues that weigh into diversity, and I know for a fact that companies, and this is measurable, companies that place value on diversity do better with customers. They earn more money. Yeah, because so absolutely. actually are diverse, we underestimate this fact, right? But that brings me to what you actually do, because you are a digital strategy advisor. So what does that mean? <laughs> That's a good question. It took me a while to figure out after I got the title. <laughs> so digital strategy advisor is, uh, so by, by BlueSoft at least, um, it is a position where you will advise so you know consultancy rather than than uh, technical you know support so it is an, an advisory position uh in in this this journey of digital transformation digital enablement and digital acceleration right mm -hmm. so what i do on a day-to-day -day basis is um i'm involved in some projects as uh, I have different roles in different projects. Uh, is it an advisory role? Is it a coaching role for, for example, product owners? How to be agile in a not agile structure, how to be a good product owner, how to run a truly agile team, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and how, how to be really product driven, product oriented, customer oriented. Or um, I could be advising you know, uh, different different entities and customers all the way up to sea level about, uh, hey, what is it that you don't see that you would like to see your company do, right? And then uh, a lot of times when it's about technology, sea level tends to want to talk about technology, mm -hmm. which is where I come in and I say, no, dude, we're not talking about that. Yeah. that. Um, let the techies deal with the technology because that's what they do. But what do you want to see happen from that technology yeah. from using it from moving to it migrating to it yeah what are your basically what's your vision mm -hmm. and then i figure out in the organization what it needs does it need organizational change uh does it need extra job descriptions roles does it need mm -hmm. a restructuring um or does it really just you know need need the right people in the right places so mm -hmm. like i also can sniff out right people and guys hey, this this person this is great <laughs> yeah i think this is so important because um, we tend to focus too much on the technology instead of focusing on what we're trying to achieve 
I mean, it's this. It's not about what feature this specific box gives you or what line of programming will make what faster. It's about what is the outcome of the whole thing you're building here. And um, mm -hmm. I, I like that there is more focus on that aspect now. I was just going to say it is a necessary focus mm -hmm. because for long enough we have been doing this thing of saying what functionality should that technology give us, yeah. and how many companies have realized how many millions they've thrown out of the window because they didn't really need that functionality in exactly, the end, yeah. right? <laughs> and that's what a lot of vendors, like also my um, employer do. We, we tell the customers what features we can give them instead of telling them what problems we solve. I, I mean, we are in the transition of doing this better, but you know, there's this urge to, you know, to outshine the others. And then you start talking, what do you have this feature and this feature and you can do this. And your customers just um, are overwhelmed with all the features you can give them. They have no clue whether they need them or not because they don't focus on what they actually want to achieve. Yeah. So yeah, this is a very important part and I just remembered something else you said initially in your first uh, in the first round. You said you work from home and you enjoy that. So that's yeah. an aspect I think that that's also amazing about working in IT, right? Being able mm -hmm. to to combine uh, bringing up your son and working from home and and that flexibility. Would you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, for sure. I'd love to. So when I was when I was actually choosing what I was going to study, I pictured it. I thought to myself, okay, 10 years down the line, where am I, what am I doing, right? And with physics, okay, I pictured myself in the lab, right? But with IT, I thought, hey, look, I saw, I saw a beach by my feet. I saw a laptop on my knees, right? And I just saw this amazing freedom that that is possible, right? This, this, uh, this, this versatile lifestyle that I could lead, which I don't know, because I've got a kid, so. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, compared to someone who has to be in a lab or in an office every day. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and so when, um, so my, my work up until now did not allow me to work from home or, you know, to, to work in this in this remote way. So since since I started working with Bluesoft, and this is also one of the reasons I started working at Bluesoft, um, mm -hmm. was because the, the, the possibility of working fully remotely for uh, a company in Poland ah, okay. was on the table. Like it, it was not questioned. Of course, the question was, hey, would you want to travel here from time to time? Of course. Sure, of course, yeah. Uh, I love Warsaw by now. Uh, I love Danzig. Um, I really enjoy working at that company. It's it's an amazing, amazing company with so much potential. But also, it was never it was never questioned. Yeah. So all they asked me was, "What laptop do you want? And do you need anything else in your home office? Do you need like you know screens or what's your table like? Uh, is there anything we can do for you?" Mm -hmm. Great, no, fine, thanks. I mean, I'm, I'm cool, you know, lying on my sofa as long as I don't get a back pain because I am at that age where I start getting back pain if I do that too long. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how some companies already had that mindset pre-pandemic and how others now had to move along. And I mean, a lot of employers who didn't let you work remotely previously now had to let you work remotely yeah. and had to understand that this was quite possible and nobody died, you know? I, I mean, know. Died, yeah. <laughs> yes, it was perfectly fine. And I mean, also with this, this remote thing with Bluesoft, for example, a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. sitting in a, in a, in a call, uh, we have a coffee call once a week for the project to discuss, you know, internally what's going on. And honestly, I tell you the truth. One of my colleagues was sitting at the beach <laughs> with really bad reception and, you know, people running around and, you know, a lot of noise in the background. But this is what he was doing. And he was 
work in there. So mm-hmm. he took his family on holiday. He said, look, family, we're here for two weeks. Well, mm-hmm. one of them, I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. And it worked absolutely fine. And, and Pusov promotes that with all their employees to mm-hmm. say, look, you've got to be comfortable. You've got to be happy how you're working. Plus, you've got to be productive. Mm-hmm. So what is your best setting to be productive? Yeah, that brings me to this whole topic of new work. And unfortunately, we've already been talking for over half an hour and I would really love to continue, but I can't because then our interview would be one and a half hours and nobody will watch it. <laughs> that's, that's obvious, but maybe yeah. we should have a catch up another time. Yeah, and talk about- definitely, because there's so much I, I would really like to keep talking about. But I have to wrap up. So my, I have to ask you the typical last question. If you met a young woman and she'd asked you what to do with her life, what would you recommend? Oh, what to do with your life is broad. But if it was yeah. in the sense of IT and there was a little bit of an interest for IT, I'd say, hey, go for it, learn to code. And then there are a million ways from there. Mm-hmm. So there's no way you're starting to code and you're going to stay in coding. Uh, there's no way that you know, you're going to be stuck in anything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. IT is a field that allows you to change and switch. And things that are modern now are things that were modern in the past as well. Data was a topic. It, you know, went away and it became a topic again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things are cyclical. Um, But there's, it's also such a vast world, such a fast changing world that there is no place for boredom. And it is also a field that is emancipating itself mm-hmm. at quite a quick pace. So there will be a place for women at the table. There will be more of a place for women at the table soon enough. So yeah. I'd say go for it, Alan. Just, just run into it and do it. Perfect. I totally agree. And it's a perfect way to end this conversation. Thank you so much for your time, Shirley. It was really Thank amazing you. talking to you. Thank you, Ranke. It was wonderful to be here with you.